Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. This week is Shabbat Zachor, which is the Sabbath of remembrance. It's, it's always the Sabbath before Purim that we, we mark as the Sabbath of remembrance, remembering uh, what God has commanded us regarding how he will uh, blot out the memory of Amalek and that we are to remember that promise. And so every Shabbat before Purim, there's a passage from Deuteronomy 25 that is read. In verses 17 and 19 of Deuteronomy 25, the scripture says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies all around you and the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Now, in this week, uh, along with it being the Sabbath of Remembrance, there's a special Haftarah portion that's read from the prophets. And it's from 1 Samuel 15. And it's describing a time when God commanded King Saul to go out and wipe out the Amalekites. And what we find in the story is that Saul goes to do it, but he doesn't complete his mission. He does part of it, but not all of it. And so let's take a, let's take a quick look at that here in verses 2 through 3 of 1 Samuel 15, the scripture says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now I go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And so Saul goes and he annihilates the Amalekites, but he doesn't do it in full. And when God tells Samuel that Saul did not complete the mission and that he is going to remove the kingship from Saul. And Samuel comes to Saul, and here in verses 20 through 22, the scriptures say, Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Now, what I feel like, there, I feel like there's a couple of messages today. It's a short lesson, so why not have two kind of key themes, right? In fact, when I was getting ready to leave this morning, Heather said, well, you know, it's a shorter lesson, so it should be easier, right? And I was like, no, talking has never been a problem. I mean, why use two words when five will do, you know? Um, 
But, you know, it's like, no, really, but the, the real thing is, what's the Lord saying, right? That's, that's the thing that we really have to tune into and then say, okay, Lord, where are you going to lead from there? But I feel like the two things are inside and out is one aspect, inside and out, and the other is a people and a place. And I think the two go together, and we're going to try to work through that to some degree. But from the aspect of inside and out, I feel like that plays into the story that we have here because God, God placed Saul as king over Israel and he commanded him to go and to do a task. And Saul went to do, but he did not do completely because he mixed in what his thoughts and opinions were into the word of God. And not only that, he didn't just listen to the Lord, he listened to the people. So he had a couple of things coming in that were crossing the wires for him. And so within that, what he ultimately needed was for his internal convictions to be displayed on the outside. Now, where, where, you know, where did he fall? Was it his internal convictions where he failed or was it just a failure to really come through all the way? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but Ultimately, what God is looking for is for a heart that is fully tuned to Him, that then walks in faithfulness according to God's Word, according to how He has given the Word, right? And that's, that's ultimately the, the struggle and the trial that we walk through day by day is to say, okay, Lord, I know what your Word says, or at least maybe I think I know what your Word says, and now let me go and apply that according to your good will and your good pleasure. And so here we see that, that Saul failed when he was doing this, and kingship was removed from him. Now, what Samuel said to him was, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Because he was really rebuking Saul for saying, look, we saved the best of the animals to offer up to God, and won't that be pleasing to God when we give him honor through this? And he says, no, it's, it's not pleasing to God when you do that, because you're not coming at this with the right heart according to the way that he has said. And, and so in uh, Jeremiah 7, verses 21 through 23, the scripture says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. Now when we read the scripture, we can maybe scratch our head a little bit, because when we read in Leviticus, we clearly see scriptures that are commanding sacrifices to be brought. So you wonder, what is going on here? You know, what is Jeremiah trying to tell us? And it's really along the same lines of, as what Samuel was saying to Saul. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he began to test them to see what was in their heart, to see if they would walk in all of his ways according to his word. That was the beginning. And that's when he, they were walking in the wilderness, listening to his voice, and he gave them the Shabbat, gave them various things to walk in. And then we come to Sinai, and we get further commandments and understandings of what God desires of his people to bring to him and how the offerings were to be <clears throat> brought and how they would fit into the communion that we have with God. But ultimately he's saying, first, listen to my voice. That is first and foremost. And then 
once you have a heart that's tuned to listen to my voice, then you can begin to walk in all the ways and the words that I've given to you. And so it's from a heart that is given over to God. So it's both and to listen to his voice and walk in his commands and the two working together gives us a fuller picture of what what his desire is and that's what actually prepares a place for him so this aspect of the inside and out right we set our heart to god we listen to his voice and then we walk according to his ways having what we do match up with the inner conviction that he's given us and in so doing we're making ourselves a vessel for his presence right so he's calling a people unto himself who will set themselves apart to be the vessel to house his presence here in the earth, both individually and corporately. Now, as you're hearing me say this, you're probably thinking, Chris, we've heard this a lot, right? Even last week we talked about Exodus 25, 8, of they shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them or within them. And how that is such a central focus for Emmaus Road and what we're doing here in these days. But we find it again in this week's, uh, in this week's portion when he's talking about his priesthood. And so we talk about the sanctuary that God desires and how we've said that it's not just a building that he's looking for, but it is a vessel for his presence that he's looking for. And as we go through, last week we went through the instructions on the tabernacle, the vessels that are within the tabernacle, its structure, its outline, and this week when we begin reading in the portion, we see a command given for the children of Israel to bring oil for lighting the menorah. And then there's two chapters focused on the inauguration of the priesthood, the, the garments they're going to wear, the offerings that will be made to set them up, to be made to set up them apart so they can serve God. And then we conclude in this portion with commands about the altar of incense. So what's interesting in the way that this is set up is if you were if you were to go through and say, okay, I'm going to tell a story of how you're going to make the tabernacle and the vessels within it, and I'm going to tell you about the priesthood, you might finish telling about the tabernacle and the vessels within it be, before you begin to talk about the priesthood. But that's not what happens. Interjected in the middle of this is two chapters focused on the people who are going to serve in the midst of the tabernacle. So in other words, if we were to read here in Exodus 27, uh, starting in verse 20, the scripture says, You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever, to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Okay, that concludes Exodus 27. And then we go into two chapters of what the priests, of preparation of the priests. And then the portion concludes in Exodus 30, verse 1, you shall make an altar on which to bring up incense and smoke. Our story could have just continued right through without going to Exodus 28 and 29. But God interjected it here, and I think there's a purpose and God's saying, I'm putting my ministers in the midst of this picture. Because God's saying, build a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell in your midst or dwell among you. But even if we build a sanctuary for God, 
but it doesn't serve as a place of connection and communion with him, what is that place? What does it accomplish? It's incomplete without the people who are there to encounter God, to meet with him and then to reflect him to those who are outside. Because when we talk about the priesthood, we're talking about a people who God set apart to serve him in his holy place, but not just to serve him in his holy place, but people who would serve as those who represent the people to God and represent God to the people, right? And, and so if we think about the role that the minister, that the priest had in the tabernacle, right, they ministered unto God, representing the children of Israel to God, and rep- representing God to the children of Israel, we have a, a picture of that as well within the body of Messiah, where the body of Messiah stands to serve unto God, and then also to represent God to all the nations, right? to reflect his light and his glory and who he is. So he's called us to do that, called us to be set apart for the purpose of communion, with his people. God's looking for a place and a people to dwell in and among. And then when we look in Exodus 29, verse 43, this is where we see the tie back to God saying, make a sanctuary so I may dwell among you. <clears throat> Exodus 29, He's saying that in the tabernacle, there I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So here he is again saying, I brought you out so that I may dwell among you. Now, when I read this verse, it made me think back to Exodus 6, verse 7. And I have that in here somewhere, I think. Aha. It's not fancy, but it is a graphic. So, hey, there we go. <laughs> okay, so, what, what, okay, so back in Exodus 6, right, God is sending Moses to go and deliver the children of Israel. And this is when he says the four statements of redemption, right? I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to take you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to me. And in Exodus 6, 7, he says, I shall take you to me for a people, and I shall be a God to you. And you shall know that I am Hashem, your God, who takes you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I shall bring you to the land about which I raised my hand to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I shall give it to you as a heritage. I am Hashem. Now then, when we look at Exodus 29, 45 to 46, we see a similar pattern. I shall rest my presence among the children of Israel, and I shall be their God. They shall know that I am, that I am Hashem, their God, who took them out of the land of Egypt to rest my presence among them. I am Hashem, their God. Okay, when we look at this, this middle part of I shall be God going and removing you from Egypt and you will know that I'm your God is the same middle part in Exodus 29. And then it concludes with the statement of, of who God is. 
But there's this first section of, I shall take you to me for a people, and then I will give you the land to dwell in as a heritage. That is the people and the place. And then in Exodus 29, we see, I shall rest my presence among the children of Israel, and that I brought them out to rest my presence among them. In both cases, he's talking about his presence being within the people and within the place of their dwelling. Does that make sense? So I'm seeing a, there's a connection between God's presence and his people that he's taken to himself. God's presence and the place in which he will establish them. Right? So the, he's looking for, uh, I feel like this is a connection. Maybe it's not, right? But it's God's desire to say, I want to dwell in you and among you. I want this to be a personal relationship connection aspect. If it was just about God having a building on the earth that would be his, that people could say, yeah, that's, that's God's house, it would be a matter of him saying, well, I dwell in your vicinity, as opposed to I dwell within you, I dwell among you, right? Because he really is looking for that connection. He's looking for a people and a place. And he sets up the order of the tabernacle to really give us a picture of how that's to look. With a priesthood that's wholly set apart, that reflects his honor and his glory. In fact, um, if we go to Exodus 28.1, which is right here, God has just given the commands about the children of Israel bringing oil for the uh, menorah. He says, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadav and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they shall make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Okay, so God says that he's going to give Aaron and his children holy garments for glory and for beauty or for splendor. And that glory is a, is a heaviness, a weightiness um, that will cause people to look, well, actually for the high priest, it's really, it's the high priest reflecting the glory of God to the people so that when the people would see the high priest, they would recognize that he serves an awesome God a mighty God, one who's worthy of reverence. And so he, he gives commands on how the garments are to be prepared, the purposes behind all the elements, and then how the priests will be set apart. And the priests give their service within the tabernacle daily. And within the tabernacle, there's two parts. There's the Holy of Holies and there's the Holy Place. The Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Testimonial Tablet sits. And then the, the Holy Place is where we have the menorah, the table of showbread, and the golden altar of incense. Now, and then outside of the tabernacle, that's where you're going to have the main altar, okay, for the burnt offerings and such. But these these four things that I just mentioned, okay, not the four, I, I mentioned five. And, uh, but from the holy place and the altar, 
there are four items that are all talked about within the context of a continual offering unto the Lord. And let's read in Exodus 29, 38 to begin talking about that. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. So this regular burnt offering in the Hebrew, it's a tamid. Okay, the morning offering and the afternoon offering of these lambs that are burnt offerings, they're um, offered up completely to the Lord, are called the tamid offering. They serve as the bookends of all of the offerings that are made throughout the day. So you begin first thing in the morning with the morning tamid offering, and then any other offering throughout the day, and then you conclude toward the evening. It's usually 9 a.m. to 3 p.m with the second Tamid offering. And these offerings are remembrances unto the Lord for the children of Israel. And the one done in the morning is offered with songs of joy and celebration and all those who are present bow down before the presence of the Lord. It's, it's a time of rejoicing, right? You will sing and make music to the Lord with your offering, right? And that's how the, the Tamid opens up. But that one's done, you know, outside of the holy place within the temple and it's done for all the nation but then within the tabernacle we have three other tamid offerings if you will one it was mentioned when we first read in exodus 27 20 when it talked about the children of israel will bring oil for the light of the lamp. And within our scriptures here, when we read the translations, often we'll, we'll miss that word tamid because it'll be either continually or regularly. But he says, you'll make, make a light. You, you will have a lamp regularly set up to burn. You'll burn it from evening to morning. But it, this is, this is a tamid deal as well, where it's a continual offering of this light before the Lord. We have the same thing when we look in Exodus 25, 30. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me, tamid, regularly, continually. And then in Exodus 30, verse 8, this is where God speaks of the altar of incense within the holy place, also having incense going up continually before the Lord. When Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, the regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. So what's happening is God is calling for a continual, regular service before him, both inside and outside that's taking place. It's inside in the holy place where you have the light that is shining, where you have the showbread and you have the incense. And then it is done outside where it can be seen 
on the altar of the offerings when the morning and the afternoon offering are done. And so when I'm looking at that, I'm seeing that in these two aspects of our lives and relationship with God. When you think about the light that shines within us, we're hiding God's word in our heart, which is representative of this showbread, and then we're offering up prayers to God throughout the day, right? That's the altar of incense. So that's our internal worship, our communion with God. And then there's the exterior where the joy that wells up within us spills out and we live our lives in such a way that we reflect God's light into the world. And that's what Yeshua calls us to do in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's saying, let the light that shines within you burn bright, but let it also carry over into the life that you share with others. Let God's glory be reflected as you serve as a minister in the world, just as, as the priests served as ministers in the temple. Now, Rebbe Nachman writes that um, when God commanded that all the children of Israel bring oil for the lamp of illumination, um, this was the aspect of all of Israel being able to take part in this divine service to God, even though it was only the priest who got to go in there and light the menorah light, everyone within the body had a part in it. They were giving and contributing unto the light of the world. And we too do the same. But Rebbe Nachman writes that this bringing together of olive oil from the Israelites shows us that by joining people in unity, you can cause the menorah to, to shine God's glory to the entire world. Right? So the coming together with a heart that is tuned to God, tending our own candle within us daily, the showbread and the altar of incense, and then coming together in unity to let that be on display. That's a great high and lofty calling for the body of believers to serve as ministers and those who are set apart unto God for this purpose of bringing restoration and representing God to the people. So as we go through and we talk about later on today, the mission and vision that Emmaus Road has, this is a key part of it. It's creating a place and a people for the Lord, for His light and His glory to shine and to be reflected in us, in our families, in our community and f flowing over to those who are outside who need that message of light, hope, and redemption. Amen. Did anybody have anything that you wanted to share? Can we get the microphone for Richard, please? It's really interesting what you were saying um, about the offerings at nine and three, and then all the offerings are in between. Um, we're reading the gospel portions with my kids, and we're actually at the crucifixion right now. Uh -huh. And and I, it, I I combine all the different stories so that it's one story, 
right? So it pulls all the data from from all the four gospels, so you get the full picture rather than just pick, you know, parts. Mm-hmm. And my son just mentioned that the master is on the cross from nine to three. Yeah. Right. And then in Hebrews, we know that he didn't he doesn't have to get on the cross continuously. Right. It's a one sacrifice for for all time, for all people. And, you know, these these continuous things that are done in the temple. Right. They're done once, but they're for a, But they represent continual. Right. They are before the Lord continually. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason we have to keep doing it is because we are in a limited we are limited. <laughs> we have to keep lighting the light. We have to keep, you know, because the physical things run out, right? But what the master did, he elevated it on a, on a, on the spiritual realm, and that's why it's once for all, right? He doesn't have to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's just the the link of what you're saying is just amazing. Yeah, that is really cool with the aspect of, yeah, he was brought up on the cross at nine and gave up his spirit at three o'clock. I mean, he was he was the bookends. And all of the all of the offerings, all the sacrifices point to him, and some of his work, absolutely. And then the aspect too. I mean, these are these offerings; they're, they're praise and worship unto God, right? And so, as long as we are on this world and awaiting the age to come, He gives us opportunity to give Him glory and praise and to shine His light in the world. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have and the day of your coming. Thank you, Lord, for the life we have, for the shed blood, for the immersion in Yeshua and the light that he has given us to be. Lord, I thank you. I ask you to help us to walk in this calling, Lord, to make your name great among the nations. Lord, we bless you and thank you for this time. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.